Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, you made your beloved Son our Savior, subject to the law and caused him to shed his blood on our behalf. Grant us the true circumcision of the Spirit, that our hearts may be made pure from all sins. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. This is the ninth day of Christmas, not the eighth day, the day in which this actually took place. That would have been yesterday. But I wish to still celebrate the day with you because of how important it is. It's not marked by a long and detailed explanation of Jesus' circumcision. You've got the picture in just one verse. But what isn't detailed for you has been detailed in the Old Testament. And the collect has now shown us what this child's circumcision and naming was meant to do for you. We prayed you made your beloved son, our Savior, subject to the law and caused him to shed his blood on our behalf. Jesus' circumcision and his naming, his name Jesus, is entirely and all for you. And that for you is what you've probably heard many pastors, especially within the Lutheran faith, make solid in your mind and in your heart. That what Jesus does on earth, everything that he accomplishes, everything that is done to him is completely and entirely for you. It is accomplished for us. There is a purpose in everything which has been recorded for us so that we might learn how it directly affects us, directly affects all Christians. And so that is the question that we ask this day. What has Jesus' circumcision done for me? What has his naming done for me? We take a step back to answer these questions. We have to look back into the Old Testament, into Genesis chapter 17, because that's where God makes this covenant with Abram. He changes his name to Abraham, because in the first of the promises, God tells him that he is going to be the father of many nations, and they're going to be blessed through him, and kings are going to come through him, and they will be of his offspring. Now we have the king of kings, Jesus being marked with the sign of the offspring of Abraham. Also have in there this promise that Abraham and his descendants shall inherit the land of which they were sojourners, the land of Canaan. And finally, that promise of the sign in the flesh, circumcision, the removal of the foreskin. It shall be a sign to each of them, to every child that was brought in to every male in the household of Abraham and the people of Israel, eventually they would be all chosen by God. And they would have a mark, a sign in their flesh to show them that they were God's people. Every male who received this circumcision of the flesh was considered to be of Abraham. And they were also to be subject to the law of God. They were to live before God as blessed and holy people, blameless before the Lord. But what do we notice happens to the people of Israel, those who come after Abraham and even of Abraham's own household, him and his wife included? They don't always live blamelessly. They fall. 
They have the law of the Lord and they fail to always live up to it. But then comes Christ, the promised child to be born of the Virgin Mary. And on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph bring this child to be circumcised, to be marked as a child of offspring of Abraham, to be brought under the law, the law of the Lord, the law that all the Jews were told to uphold. But here is the difference with Christ, with this child, Because we hear that Jesus was coming to fulfill things. He was the word that the prophets had spoken of. He is the one who is coming to accomplish what the nation of Israel had failed to do. He is coming to fulfill this covenant of Abraham by himself. Becoming the faithful one. Obedient to God the Father. Because he had no sin in his flesh. Pure and holy, this child was. But how ironic is it that the Lord, who by his finger inscribed into the tablets that law, now is the one who is subjecting himself to be under that law in the flesh. He receives in his body a mark of humanity. He receives in his flesh a mark of a covenant that he had made with the people. A people that failed to uphold it. He, in this moment, on this eighth day, as we have just heard in the hymn, begins his work as the Savior This is his first shedding of blood, foreshadowing, foretasting his death, which will be the shedding of his blood on the cross for your salvation. Jesus' circumcision is the beginning of his suffering as a servant for you. It's the beginning of his coming to shed his blood for you, to give his flesh for you. For the salvation of the world. As we read in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. We don't talk about circumcision so much anymore. Because Jesus was circumcised for all. Circumcised for all of humanity. Jesus' circumcision is for you. So that you might receive the adoption as sons. No one needs to be circumcised anymore. To be brought into being the offspring of Abraham. Because there's now a new covenant. There's a new way for you to be brought into the kingdom of God. In this new covenant there is no need for the shedding of blood. We don't bring a child before the baptismal font and shed their blood. For Christ has shed his blood once for all. Instead, a child, an adult, whatever it is, they come to this font to be brought into this new covenant by means of baptism. 
to be brought in to Christ himself and everything which Christ has fulfilled in this covenant law. God has released us, in a sense, released us from being under the law, for we are now under grace, by faith, since Christ in the flesh has accomplished all things on our behalf. But we're not quite done completely with circumcision, not quite anyway, because the physical necessity may, has, may have passed away, but the church is taught in Deuteronomy and elsewhere that there is still something which we must associate with circumcision. There is yet a foreskin to be circumcised, just not by hands. The foreskin is also associated with sin and rebellion, And so hear what Moses said to the people of Israel after they had turned away from the Lord when he had come down from the mountain. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all people as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And again we hear later on. From the prophet Jeremiah, when he had seen these people turn to the idols, and the Lord spoke through him, saying, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. There is yet a foreskin to be circumcised. Just as it was with the people of the Old Covenant, they were told to cut themselves off from evil, from wicked deeds, to turn away from idols. So too are you and I told to cut it off, to remove our stubbornness in the heart. And where does that happen? But in the covenant, the new covenant of baptism. We read from St. Paul in Colossians chapter 2. In him, Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So do you see what, it might, what, what, what a terrible mistake it might be to forget this day, the eighth day, because what, we're uncomfortable talking about circumcision or because it's only one verse in the Bible? It would be a mistake because this is our circumcision. Christ is ours. And what he accomplishes in his flesh also becomes ours by baptism. By the circumcision of Christ, you have been able to put off your body with all of its sinful desires. You are able to fight against sin and its temptations. Look at what we have in Christ's circumcision. We are the recipients of his work, of his strength, of the blood that he shed, even here as a child. This event is like his sacrifice on the cross. It's once for all. Physical circumcision no longer is required by God. 
It's fulfilled in Jesus. And yet, God still circumcises us, but it is of our heart. We still spiritually need to have our sins, our trespasses, our old life cut off from us. Jesus was being placed under the law. His parents brought him for that purpose. And it is for us to see that he becomes in this time a sin bearer. He makes and takes upon himself our sins. No one is becoming a Christian anymore by this old act of the covenant. But they become a Christian by God taking them and baptizing them. For here in the font, God removes the foreskin of your heart. He takes away from you sin by the forgiveness of it and rebellion by changing who you are through the gift of the Holy Spirit. You still, in a way, I guess, enter the kingdom of God by circumcision. But it is now the circumcision of Jesus. For he gives God to all who come to him a baptism not done by human, or a circumcision and a baptism, not done by human hands, but by the hand of God. And he cancels the record of debt that stood against us by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, our Lord, took that debt to the cross and covered it with his blood. And so you should mark yourself as having been cut off from death, from sin, and from the devil. And do you notice, perhaps if you think back to the rite of baptism, or you can familiarize yourself with it in our hymnal, but there is so much to be said about the name that God gives you. In there, the pastors are instructed in the rite to make the sign of the cross upon the forehead and upon the heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. We put the name of Jesus on you because in baptism, that is the name which you receive. You receive the name of Jesus in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so we mark this day of Jesus' naming as also a special remembrance of our own baptism, where God not only united us with the flesh of Jesus, as you've just heard, but where he has also given us a new name to be his chosen people, But this isn't any normal name. It's the name most high. The name above all names is now your name. And that name comes with great power and might. We we hear from our Old Testament reading today that God's name is your blessing. We read, so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. God's name is is important to us. It's our armor. It's the ability to fight off the devil, to fight off our sins, to draw us away from God's holy word and the law. God's holy name helps us to fight the stubbornness of our flesh, which would try to dictate to God what is good and acceptable. But when we hear the name of Jesus, we remember the obedience of Christ to being subject to the law for us. No, we don't deserve to be called a child of God. 
when we hear the name of Jesus, we hear God's mercy. Because God has placed this name upon us. He has made us a child like Christ. He has brought to us salvation through Jesus. Why is his name Jesus? Why did the angels announce to Mary and Joseph that his name should be called Jesus? Well, Matthew tells us that. When the angel visits Joseph and he says that his name should be called Jesus, it is because he shall save his people from their sins. And that is what Yeshua means. It means God's salvation. Where the name of God is, something special is also there. The presence of God. When a person is baptized, we are declaring that God is present there. With that child, with that person, they are marked by God's name in this water and in this word. And it's not that God is coming there with wrath and hate, but God is coming in that water to save, to cut off from them that which is harmful, sin, rebellion, and to unite themselves with what is good and holy, that covenant relationship which has been fulfilled in Christ, the one who was our holy child. When we come to the Lord and ask of him anything, we do so through the name of Christ, by Jesus' name. Because by the name of Jesus, we believe that God has been favorable to us, that he is actually well-pleased with us because we have whatever Christ has done. And so we have a special mark given to us in the name of Jesus. Not only... Was he in his flesh marked by circumcision, but he was also marked by his name. So that every time we look upon Jesus, we see and believe that he is the one who came to save his people. Because we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And we believe that it is God who gives us life. His name is above all names. And that is what has happened to us. God has made us from a common people dead in sin to an uncommon people set apart, raised up above all, all who are perishing in their sins because we have been saved by Jesus. He is the only one that was ever worthy of that name, but that name has now been granted to you. And he has made you worthy by his perfect life, by his crucified body, by his resurrected and glorified flesh. And so this day we remember something very special, that our flesh must be joined to the circumcised, crucified, and resurrected flesh of our Savior. By his uniting with us, he has given us a new life. We are united to the flesh of Christ in our baptism, and so we have also suffered our first death dead to sins, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And the sign of man's responsibility to the law was that of God's circumcision. And now, having been united to Christ's circumcision through our baptism, we have received his completion of the law, his fulfillment of it, his perfect obedience, 
perfect righteousness, our complete salvation through his atonement. So in a sense, you have already gotten over death. It's already come and passed. Though you yet must die, you shall certainly live. For Christ has passed from death to life, and you have now been joined to him. So you shall certainly pass from death to life eternal. Because now the eternal God and the eternal day has come to pass. And God has brought you into Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.